we have found the witch. Might we blow an apple? She looks like one! Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring her forward! I'm not a witch! I'm not a witch! Uh, but you are dressed as one! They dress me up like this! And this isn't my nose, it's a false one! Well? Well, we did do the nose! The nose? And the hat! But she's a witch! Did you dress her up like this? No! 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 Yes! 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 A bit! A bit! A bit! She has got a wart! <laughs> what makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt? We got better. to protect the innocent. Man, this is Spooksville. All right, we're back with George from the last episode. Uh, and he's got some more stories to tell us. Um, these are not his personal stories uh, now at this point. The first one was. Um, but uh, these are now stories he's gotten from other people, uh, trying to connect and trying to make sense of everything. Uh, George, you want to... Go ahead and launch into your next one here. Sure. Um, it happened maybe six or seven years ago now. I was uh, doing a small job for a lady up the street from me. And the uh, first time I had worked for her, um, she was somewhere between 65 and 75 and lived alone. And uh, just trimming some trees up off the ground so that there's a little bit of visibility under them. They, um, they kind of took everything over. And uh, she was very specific. She wanted to see the ground, but she didn't want to lose too much privacy. So in this case, I, I told her she'd have to come out once I did some of the work, just to kind of okay it or tell me to continue, you know, go trim them up higher. Well, the day, the day I got this story, my coworker called in and said, you know, it's, it's raining too hard. I'm not coming in. And uh, which doesn't happen very often, but I said, that's fine. I can handle this one alone. So I go out and... Uh, Got there around 8.30 and, um, you know, knocked on the door, told her what I was going to do. And she said she had to leave at 9.30 to, uh, she was part of a prayer group. That's all she said, a prayer group. I said, it's fine. I said, I'll come find you beforehand to, to see what you think. So um, right around 9.15, I knocked on the door and said, you know, hey, take a look. I think I got it where you need it, uh, trimming-wise. And, uh, and it was raining hard. I had, you know, full rain gear on and she came out with an umbrella and she's looking at the work I did, and um, I just happened to say, my mom's part of a prayer group. You know, that's good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And, uh, and she says, you know, she kind of described where her prayer group met, and I, I told her what my mother was. And um, she says, I haven't always been a Christian. And I smiled, and I said, well, you are now. You know, we all come from somewhere. And she gets this serious look on her face, and she says, I used to be a witch. <laughs> and I I didn't say anything, because what do you say to that? Okay, well, you know. So I just kind of looked at her with a grin, a dumb grin on my face, like, uh, uh, you got me. 
So, um, she tells me the most amazing... We stood in the rain for almost... A, a pouring rain for an hour. And I, I just listened to the story. I couldn't... You know, it was just amazing. It was such a gift. So she said that um, her husband, before he passed away, he was a pilot. A commercial air, airline pilot. And uh, she was a homemaker. And uh, the airport was maybe 45 minutes to an hour from their house. And... Uh, they had a, a son who was six or seven, something like that, when this all started. And he was a Catholic, and she really didn't have much faith any which way, just um, kind of went along. And she said for a birthday, a girlfriend of hers had given her a book on ghost and spiritual stuff, kind of like the occult, I guess. Well... She read the book, and she said it just really piqued her curiosity. And she, she'd go to the library and get every last book she could get on the occult. And um, then it kind of segued into witchcraft and into chants and spells and stuff. And she said that she bought these candles and, and would try the stuff. And um, she said at the same time she noticed that her son started acting a little differently. She said that he had a very vivid imagination and that he had, I want to say, between seven and ten imaginary friends for years. You know, me and Johnny are going to go play in the backyard. Or, you know, me and Billy are playing cars. Um, he had names for all of them. Well, she said that at some point she realized that he was kind of not himself and kind of um, looked kind of glum. And she'd say, "What? what's wrong? And she said that he said one time, well, Billy's not my friend anymore because he breaks my toys. And then, uh, you know, a couple days later, you know, I don't like Matt anymore because he says bad things to me all the time. And all these imaginary friends became imaginary enemies. Um, she said at the same time, uh, her husband, being a pilot, uh, they had the ability to stay at hotels down by the airport, um, and they, a lot of the pilot, co-pilot, and stewardesses, steward, you know, working people would would work the same shifts or work the same flights or however it works. She said that uh, they finished their basement off and had like a, an apartment in the basement to where he would bring people home with him instead of getting a hotel. They'd stay at his house. He liked the companionship driving, and uh, they just found that it was something they liked to do. So. Um, when she got more into this stuff, this uh, this this witchcraft and occult stuff, um, a number of people on the way back to the airport, her husband would say, "Well, how was your how was your night? How was your stay?" One person said, "You know, I'll never stay at your house again. Uh, I felt terrified. Something was stalking me." Um, another said that in the middle of the night, they didn't know where they were because the whole atmosphere changed and like it didn't seem like they're in the basement anymore. Um, a number of people said that something weird was going on and they didn't want any part of it. But she kind of kept doing what she was doing. And uh, <clears throat> it all came to an end. Uh, she said one day her son was at school, her husband was at work, and she was walking out of her, her bedroom. And the house was a rancher. It had, you know, one end was a bedroom on the left and an office on the right. And then halfway down the hall was a bathroom and the kids' room. And then at the far end of the hall was, you know, the front door, the, the kitchen in the back, um, and, like, 
immediately at the end of the hall was a staircase to the basement and then the front, you know, family room. And she said she was leaving her bedroom to go to the kitchen. And she had, you know, walked out of her room and taken about five or six steps when she heard what she thought was fingernails tapping on her desk of the office, which was across the bedroom, you know, from the bedroom. So she turns around to look and she says that there is a, a full-on demon sitting at her desk. She said it was like lizardy skin. She said it had black holes where its eyes should be. And um, it had really big teeth. And um, she said she was absolutely terrified. Um, she said that uh, it smiled and it was tapping its fingers on the, on the table like it was just kind of you know, care, carelessly waiting for something. And then it spoke to her and said, you're all mine, it's just a matter of waiting. And she said she ran out of the house, terrified. She said at that point she basically was, a, she says, I was basically was a devil worshiper. I, I did all kinds of prayers and chants and everything I could do to get reactions and power. And she says it worked. She said I could see things happening. And, uh, but she said at that point she realized what she was doing was not what she wanted. And, um. She got rid of everything, all the all the stuff in her house that was associated with that. Did she say whether or not, um, like when she first started this, when her friend first gave her the book, yeah. did did she set out to do you know the get power, get reactions? I mean, what what did she start doing? Like, was it you know I'm going to look for rain today, or you know what kind of? You know, she didn't elaborate. It was she said it was kind of innocent. It was just intriguing and. Just to see if it did anything. Kind yeah, of. and she said it was kind of like curiosity that, you know, killed the cat kind of thing that it just kind of pulled you in. And she didn't really have anybody telling her not to. Um, but um, so she she uh, had the house blessed, uh, had it cleansed, however she did it. Uh, and she said that she became the poster child for Christ. Well, that's where you would think the story ends, but it doesn't. They lived in that house another five or ten years, and then they moved out, out, out into the country, close to where I'm at. They put the house on the market, and it didn't sell for about eight or nine months. It was on the market, and she said that she, she went to meet a friend for lunch one day, and uh, her friend was a little bit older than her, and was talking about how they wanted to, to get out of the city and move to the suburbs, and she says, "Well, what are you looking for?" And, and the woman perfectly described the house that they were trying to sell so uh she says you just described what we're trying to sell why don't you take a look well long story short they they buy the house this couple buys the house a month later and uh and they move in well for for better words the witch tells me as she's telling me the story that uh just the strongest desire to call her friend one day after they moved in and, and describe or tell her the story about, you know, what had happened in the past at the house. But she asked her husband, you know, should I do that? And her husband says, no. She says, we, he says, we took care of it. Don't bring it up. Just, you know, let it lay. And um, she said she had a horrible feeling that she needed to tell this woman. And um, the next morning, the woman calls her and says, um, is there anything I need to know about this house? And the witch says, well, well, why? You know, what, what, what are you, what's wrong? 
Oh, her friend says that um, the previous night was the first night that their grandson spent the night at the house, and that they this middle bedroom they set up for him, and um, and her and her husband are in the the bedroom, the you know the master bedroom sleeping, and and she hears her her grandson talking in the middle of the night, so she walks out of her bedroom into his bedroom to see what's going on, and he's not there. And she didn't turn any lights on. She's listening, and she's, he's towards the kitchen. So she walks down the hall towards the kitchen, and the little boy is sitting at the top of the basement stairs with the basement door open, and he's saying, No, Grandpa, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, Grandpa. So his grandmother... And grabs him by the shoulder and says, hey, you know, what are you doing? And he says, well, Grandpa's down there. Can't you see him? And the lady says, no, Grandpa's in bed with me. And the little boy's like, no. No, Grandpa came in my room, woke me up, said he had a surprise for me. And we held hands, walked down the hallway. And when he started walking down the stairs in the dark, I got scared and I just stayed at the top. And he's at the bottom of the stairs Telling, telling me to jump, he's going to catch me. And he's got, you know, he's, he's standing there with his arms open for me to jump. And I got scared. So she grabs the little boy by the hand and walks back to her bed and says, Grandpa's here. Well, this woman telling me the story says that, you know, she, she quoted the Bible. She says if, you know, if, if a house is clean but left vacant, um, you know, uh, what was there can come back in multitude and, and uh you know, it's almost like it's it's licensed to do so, or it's 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 able, and you've got to sweep the house again. So they had the house blessed, and I think it from there it went away. But she said that when she rejected the path she was on, and and found a life with Christ, she said that she was given the gift of discernment. I said, well, tell me exactly what that means. She says I can go into any. She says, like, shopping centers or um, stores. She says, I've walked in some, and I've turned around and walked right back out because I just, I know that there's just an, an just a wall of evil or a, 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 a just a presence that, that, you know, I do not belong here. And she says, other places, you know, you can just feel that it's, you know, it's, it's good. Um, she says the same thing is on people. Um, she can just get the vibe off of people, whether they're, you know, innately good, or they're they've, they're hiding some uh, very dark things that um, you know you don't want to deal with these people. So um, she she told me some other things about the prayer group and how they've. Um, I don't know what uh, specific um, church she belongs to, but um, it sounds like um, you know she's found her place and uh, it's come through that. But what an amazing story she told me. Did she say what she did when she finally hit that point where she was going to convert, you know, and, and really turn her back to all this? Well, because it sounds like, you know, she got this gift of discernment. Maybe it's something, it seems like it would be something drastic she did. Did she just... She didn't specifically say other than that she, you know, it's seeing this thing in her house. She rid the house of all of it, had the house cleansed and blessed. Um, and then I think she started her pursuit to um to find uh you know her faith yeah yeah it was I, I couldn't I, I like hung on every word she said it was just I couldn't I couldn't uh, believe what she was telling me I, I wonder did she tell you like 
what her husband's reaction was to the to the demon sitting at her desk. No, she never spoke of that. She didn't. The only thing she ever said about her husband, other than what he did for a living, was that he did not want her to bring up the past of that house with her friend because he thought it would it would be something to weigh on her friend's mind that wasn't necessary. Um, but um, obviously, different if the friend comes to her with that story. Yes. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, there was an, another guy. Um, I was running a piece of equipment in the front yard, and um, kind of a similar vein. Uh, this guy stops at my house just randomly because I'm out in my front yard doing something, and he starts talking to me. Um, and uh, again, another gift out of left field. Um, yeah, uh, the lights are out again. There they go again. <laughs> So this guy, he, he comes in this great big truck, and he looks like Mr. Clean. Bald, big muscles, big presence. Um, and as he's talking to me, I can't help but notice he, he's animated about what he's talking about. And he's like, uh, you know, thanks to God this, and praise be God for that. And I said, you know, it's good, it's refreshing to hear somebody who's not afraid to speak their faith. That's all I said. And it, I guess it just it touched a nerve or a chord with him, not a nerve, but a chord with him. And he says, you know, I've come a long way from where I used to be. And again, I just, you know, okay, I listen. And uh, he says, he says, my dad was a son of a bitch. He was the nastiest, meanest, most hateful person I've ever known in my life. And then he told me something and I, I had to stop myself from laughing because that was my first reaction because it sounded so crazy. But I could see in his face some pain, and I thought, you better bite your lip, boy, because he was a monster guy. He says, I witnessed my father try to drown my mother in a mud puddle when I was four years old. And I thought he was joking. I like had a nervous laugh ready to come out. I'm like, really? Yeah, I, I, I stopped myself. And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, he was a monster. He says, so I grew up telling myself I will never be like my father and I've heard a lot of people over the years say I'll never be like this person or that person and uh, I got things to say about that but uh, so so he says that he ends up you know he was kind of a fighter in school uh, but you know he's always held a job got a really pretty wife had three or four kids three kids two kids two kids and uh, he says that, um, you know, he he would stick up for himself. And, yeah, he got in some altercations here and there. But he didn't think he was anything like his dad. Until one day, uh, he said um, his world came crashing down. And uh, it didn't come crashing down the way I thought he was going to say. He said he was at the kitchen table with his family. And somebody said something he didn't like. And he stood up screaming, and he punched his plate until it was in tons of little pieces. And I think he said he remembered his father doing the same thing one time. And then it kind of snapped. He looked around. His, his wife was cowering. His kids were crying. And he thought, oh, my God, I'm my father. And he didn't say a word. He just walked away from the table, and he went outside and just walked down the street. He didn't know what to do. He said, I got this beautiful wife, I got these kids that love me, but I'm a monster. 
He said he just realized all of a sudden, after all these years of, you know, I'm not like my dad. I'm a monster. And uh, he said he found some, you know, it just happened to find a church somehow. And um, he said, finding Christ turned my life around. He says, uh, you know, I went to church. I went to church a lot. Um, you know, I went to behavioral, you know, stuff with a group to try to, you know, realize that I had something going on here. And uh, he says, now I'm a Sunday school teacher. And uh, and the story doesn't stop there. He says, um, he says about four weeks ago, he says the strangest thing. He's like, me and my wife are at the laundromat in our town. And we're doing laundry on a Saturday. And this is wintertime. It was really cold out, he said. He says he hears kids screaming. And he looks and he... And these kids, and he lives in kind of like a little uh, side of the road town where, you know, all the houses are bunched up close together and you've got a gas station, a laundromat, and that's about it in the town. Well, these four girls come running in a laundromat and they're just like panicked, like they're getting chased by somebody. And he realizes two of them are in a Sunday school class. Hey, you know, what, what's going on? Well, they tell him that they were having a birthday party at their house and, uh, this neighborhood boy came over and uh not that that was a big deal but the parents weren't home they were having like a friend's party or something where the parents were they i don't think the parents knew and uh so they pull out a ouija board and they're sitting around playing with this ouija board and they're laughing and having a good time well all of a sudden this boy that came over starts acting really weird I don't remember the particulars other than the reason the girls left was that he started growling. He walked into the hallway of the house and kind of bent over in this distorted, kind of contorted position. And he froze like a statue. And the whole house got icy cold on the inside. And they were yelling at him to stop it and, you know, and he wouldn't respond to anybody. And they said they couldn't even see him breathing or moving. He just was frozen. And uh, they got scared and they ran out. So this Mr. Clean guy says, I, you know, I told him, hey, I'll, I'll get him out of your house. I'll make him leave. So he, he goes back up the street with the girls and their front door is swinging back and forth and the breeze wide open. And uh, he says he walks in first. And he says, this kid, you know, I don't know, he's 11 or, or 12 or 13. He's standing in the hallway just like they described, like hunched over, contorted, like, hands and clenched like just like a like an animal kind of figure and he says in his best marine voice boom he yells boy kid doesn't flinch doesn't move a muscle so he screams twice as loud hey boy kid doesn't move again so he kind of he slaps him on the back but he's afraid to do it but he does it he one last time hey boy and he slaps him on the shoulder with his hand and he like the kid just like snaps out of it, huh? What? Who are you? And Mr. Clean says, I think it's time for you to go home. And the kid walked out the door and he told his the girls, you know, put that thing away, don't ever play with it again or, or get rid of it. And uh so I, I think that that's all he told me, but um yeah, I don't know if there was any remedy after that, but uh a lot of people play with that thing and uh a lot of things happen. Yeah, they're they're not allowed in my house. Mine either.
Nope. Wow. So the guy just came up to you and, and told you all this. Yeah. Just, just a gift from God. You know, Hey, you know, uh, he, he stopped because I was, uh, I've got an unusual tool in my front yard that, uh, it's big. And, um, he wanted to know if he could bring some, some, uh, some wood over to run it through this tool. And that's how the conversation started. Man, you're, you're a magnet for these kind of stories. <laughs> I kind of feel like I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we have a little more time if you have, a, have um, another one to tell. Well, so the woman that at the church that I, I told the, the, that, you know, said to me that, you know, um, you wake up at 3.30 and you don't know why. Um, we've been friends for maybe 12, 15 years. And um, back when we first met, she said that she felt that there was the um, presence of Native American spirits on her property, and I did not know how to take that. <laughs> and, and this is this is this is a from, woman that lives almost in eyesight if there weren't trees. From from you from this my is house. What was once all one piece of property? Yes, farmland. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you know, I just was like, oh, okay. You know, how do you respond to that? You know, other than why do you think that? But. Um, so, you know, I, I just accepted it and just, okay, you know, didn't know what else to say. Well, their kids and my kid were very good friends, and they'd go on vacation to see family out of state once or twice a year. And my kid would volunteer to feed their fish and their rabbit. Um, they had a, you know, a keypad on the outside of the garage, and you'd punch in the code and run in, do your thing, and run out. Well, uh, sometime... Over the course of her watching them, she realized at 9 or 10 at night, Oh no, I, I forgot to take care of them. Dad, Dad, can you go take care of them for me? Yeah, I can do that. So at the time I had a, uh, a Jeep Wrangler, and uh, you know I fired it up and drove over there. and I left it running with the lights on outside the garage. And um, within two minutes the animals were done, and I was hitting the button to go back, you know, close the garage door back up. Well, uh, I open the door of the Jeep and I jump in and I shut the door and I am hit with, I, I can't even put it into words, but, uh, the strongest smells of alcohol and tobacco that you can imagine. Like if the biggest drunk at the bar were to, uh, you know, drop the ashtray on himself and a couple drinks on his shirt, that's how strong it was. And I, I knew without looking, there was somebody sitting in my back seat. I just, I jumped in, shut the door, was going to put it in, you know, in reverse. And I got hit with this, these smells and this feeling. And, uh, on that Jeep, you, you twist the, uh, twist a knob to make the interior light come on. And I, I did that and I whipped around and there's nothing. And, uh, it was, it was overpoweringly strong, the smell. But as soon as I turned that light on and whipped around and looked, the smell was gone and I was like a dog sniffing the air. I, I could not get it back. It just, that quickly, it, it just dissipated and, um, the feeling dissipated. And I, I told her, I said, I think I was visited by your native American friend when I fed your pets. So he was checking me out, but it was just the strongest smell I've ever had. So the kind of like that feeling you described in the last episode about the teacher standing behind you with the ruler. Yep, pressure behind you. Yeah, it's uh, the the attack is coming from behind. Or in this case, uh, you know, maybe he was just checking me out to see what are you doing here. Did you, did know? you feel any kind of? Did you feel the same kind of danger? Or I just felt more like a presence. Just a presence. Just a you know, you are not alone. It, it wasn't necessarily 
a feeling of violence towards you, just a, you don't belong, you know, he, he doesn't belong here, but he's here kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, even, even around the property there, um, this may or may not be paranormal. Um, that same sister that I drove up to my parents' place with, uh, we don't talk a whole lot, but oddly enough, I was on the phone with her one night and, uh, we used to have big rabbits in a cage in the front porch and Easter morning, uh, I go out front and there's these two dogs and they're trying to tear the cage apart. Um, I'd never seen the dogs before. One had a collar on, but it looked like it had been grown into his neck for a long time. Like it's just stray dogs. So I, I had some boots on the porch and I, I yelled and I chucked boots at their heads and they ran away. <laughs> and I, I put the rabbit somewhere else after that. But from that point on for months, occasionally if I go out in my yard, one of the two dogs would just kind of come out from across the street in the bushes or from behind a tree and growl at me in my own yard. And I thought, well, this isn't going to last very long. There's no dog going to growl at me in my yard. And um, a couple, I had a paintball gun at the time. I thought, well, I'm going to light him up with a paintball gun. He'll run away. And uh, it never, we never connected. Well, this one night, I'm on my front porch. Uh, at the time, I used to smoke. I'm smoking a cigarette, and I'm talking to my sister. And, uh, and a car goes by. And the road is maybe 100 feet from my house, and it's pretty perpendicular, or parallel, I mean, to my front porch. And uh, my mailbox is straight across the street from my house. And as the car goes by, its lights light up that there's that dog sitting by my mailbox in the bushes staring at me. Just sitting there, like across the street, staring at me. And uh, so I say to my sister, oh, there's that fucking dog again. And the one that attacked the rabbits. I said these exact words. I wish somebody would run that fucking dog over. The next car that comes by and illuminates it it jumps up and starts running across the street at me and the car hits it and it sails through the air about a hundred feet. I'm like, sis, you're not going to believe this. The the dog just got hit. And, um, yeah, this young girl is driving this like big old Impala type car. And, um, the dog literally went at least 60 feet through the air, if not farther. And, uh, and her front end of her car got messed up a little bit, but it was, you know, the big old steel stuff, so it wasn't terrible. And she gets out, and she's she's all emotional, and, oh, I'm so sorry I killed your dog or I hit your dog. And, and that night I realized, you know, be very careful what you wish for, because it was, it was, like, scripted like a movie. It just happened in the most amazing fashion. The, the part of that that actually seems the strangest is that after you said it, yeah, the dog charged you. It got up and crossed the street. I don't know how fast it was going, but in my mind, it was like coming. It was like, okay, I'm coming at you. Whoa. And it got hit. And, uh, yeah, my sister was on the phone. I said, you will not believe this. That dog just got hit. And it's it, it's it's either dead or it's going to die. And actually, we walked over. Um, she called the police. Uh, and um, in the, and I, I said to the cop, once he got there, you know, can you finish it off? Well, no, I'm not allowed to do that. And... Um, but it, you could tell its insides were pretty crushed. It was making all kinds of weird noises, and mm. then it stopped making noises. Did you, Did you ever see the second dog? Never saw the second dog again. Yeah, but they worked in tandem. The first time they came, they each had an edge of the, the cage and were pulling in opposite directions trying to get this rabbit out. Yeah, it's just bizarre things like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> just and, random. 
Maybe you said it, but how, how old were you when this happened? So I was probably in my mid to late twenties. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't you weren't kids. You were. No. No. Yeah. I mean, I I bought the house. I think I was twenty two, and uh, yeah, it's been heck. I've been there almost thirty years now. Oh, so this is the house you're in now, the yeah. farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You certainly have a have a a wonderful bucket of stories, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that's about all the time we have tonight for this one, but uh, I think we'll be back. I'm excited already. All right, man. Well, thanks for your time again. Thank you very much, Steve. We'll talk soon. See ya. Bye. Well, I thought it was a very lovely story, and you tell it so well with such enthusiasm. I want you to know it's over. Well. Bye.